So today we're talking to James. Hi, James. Hi. Uh, James is an independent software developer, and he has quite a bit of closure libraries. And today we'll try to focus the discussion on Ring. Uh, so James, why why did you create Ring? Uh, so I didn't actually create Ring. It was uh, a by a chap called Mark McGranahan. Um, he, he approached me after I created Composure. So Composure was created first. Um, and I was trying to create a all-in-one um, system for doing web development in uh, Clojure. So at the time, Clojure was pretty new. I think it was on 0.7 or something like that. It was certainly pre-1.0 release. Um, and I was creating Composure as a web development library for it. So this included um, systems for handling cookies and um parameters and things like that, um, and also included routing. And then Mark came to me and said, I've got this project called Ring. Um, it's going to be very similar to um, Ruby's Rack or um, uh, similar tools in Python. Mm -hmm. And uh, he managed to convince me that, uh, so initially I was quite skeptical because it felt like another layer on top of servlets. Um, mm -hmm. But he managed to convince me that this was actually a really good idea. And after I got pulled into Ring, I started dismantling a lot of the work I had done in Composure and moving it to Ring. And eventually Composure became like a thin routing library on top of Ring. And Ring got all of the cookie handling and HTTP and uh, Jetty integration and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I think this was also surprising to me when I came to Clojure. Uh, it was, you know, those things are separate, where in other communities, you have everything in one as you, I guess, started to create this library. Um, how did he convince you to actually separate these two? What was the, argu the biggest argument that he won you over? I think it boiled down to um, making things more modular. So in... Uh... By separating everything out into a ring and by making, um, by giving ring uh, uh, control over the cookies and parameters, the HTTP server integration, Java serverless integration as well, mm -hmm. um, it meant that Composure could just focus on being an opinionated router. And that by pulling routing out into a separate library, we didn't necessarily have to create the best routing library, like the routing library could be um, opinionated. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the problems with creating um, a piece of software or a library or a framework that is meant to be uh, in some way the de facto thing to use, mm -hmm. because then you have to create like a routing library, which is very um, one size fits all. Um, it ought to be something that's doesn't necessarily take many risks um, and doesn't necessarily is probably not going to be very opinionated because it's got to appeal to a very wide audience. Mm -hmm. Where if you separate those bits out, then you can make something that's more opinionated um, and more accessible to a certain portion of your user base. Um, one of the main problems with any development in Ring is just because everybody uses it it's very hard to actually um, set up or design any uh, 
uh, systems around it because it's just got to appeal to such a wide range of um, developers and use cases. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you would dive into Ring, uh, what would be the I don't know, main parts of it? Or if we talk about maybe even the HTTP layers, how would we just try to understand this? Um, so Ring is split up into probably three kind of main parts. So there's the handler, which is just a function that takes in a request and returns a response. And the request has been represents a HTTP request, but has been converted into a closure map. And the function does something with that map, and it returns a response. And this response is then converted into a HTTP response. Um, this function on its own is just a function. Um, but if you plug this function into an adapter, then the adapter turns it into a HTTP server. Uh, and then we also have middleware, which are essentially just functions that take in a handler, modify it in some way, and return a new handler. Right. Um, so the the okay. So this is this is sort of like how the HTTP works with Ring. Uh, so we get the we get the request, we modify it with our middlewares or maybe even with inside our handler, and then we throw back the response. Right. Right. Um, and then there is also sort of we can also take a look at this library from a different point of view in terms of like how it is structured. Structured in terms of how it's split up into like core development serverlet jetty adapter, or so we could also go there. But I was thinking if it's worth to talk about maybe even like the HTTP layers as they're yeah. Uh, what do you mean by the HTTP layers? So normally you would just get the request, which is in the form of text. Jetty adapter transforms this to something that I guess Jetty understands. And then we, with the adapter that you mentioned, we trans- transform this to a map? Uh, yes. So a lot of Java um, servers use, at least in part, the Java servlet specification. So um, you will have uh, some kind of Java web server, like Jetty, for instance, or Tomcat, or um, any of the others. and. Uh, they will read in a TCP stream, um, which represents a HTTP request. And this HTTP request can be 1.1 or 2 or whatever. And it converts that raw sequence of bytes um, into a HTTP servlet request object. Um, And even though a lot of um, Java servers like deviate from the servlet standard, or at least they support the servlet standard, but underneath they um, have their own mechanisms as well, which is often convenient to hook into. Uh, They often all use like some variant of the HTTP servlet request object and the HTTP servlet response object. And these are objects which represent the uh, incoming HTTP request and the outgoing HTTP response. So Ring has got functions to convert these Java objects into immutable um, maps, uh, which Clojure can read. 
the only well, mutable side effectful part of it is the uh, input stream from the request body. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, but normally, when we develop the applications, we would not have to worry about this. This is all done by, uh, by Ring, right? Um, and we just go about... Yeah, so from a developer's perspective, um, you're just getting in a map, um, and then you're outputting a map. If you're using a synchronous ring, um, it gets a little bit more complicated. Rather than just returning the map, you pass it to a respond function. So you can uh, essentially respond in other threads or from a um, chord or async go block, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, can we dive a bit into like the, the middleware concept and why should you maybe move some of the functionalities from your handlers to middleware and just talk about this pattern? Yes. So um, middleware is middleware is just a form of higher order functions. So um, in Clojure and many other languages that rely on functions a lot, you can take in a function, um, you can essentially wrap it in some way, and you can put out a new function. So middleware does this. You can create a, um, you can pull in a handler, and then use the middleware to alter the request in some way, or alter the response in some way or choose not to um, apply the handler at all. And so like some middleware, for instance, could choose between several different handlers and apply the one which it thinks is best. And this is kind of how routing libraries work. Um, the advantage of using middleware is that you don't have to write um, that code in your handler. You can pull it out and factor it out into a piece of middleware which can be applied to many different handlers. So this tends to be used for um, uh, like parsing of the request um, or handling of the request and response in some way, which is generic. Uh, so for example, um, cookies are not part of the HTTP specification. They're just something on their own. So they have to be parsed out separately. Um, the ring adapter will take the HTTP request convert it into a ring request map, but it won't do anything about the cookies on its own. So adding the wrap cookies middleware in will take the HTTP request and parse the cookies out and add them to a key on the request, which is more convenient for the handler to use. And the same thing happens for um, URL encoded parameters, like form parameters, um, multi-part file uploads, for example, um, session support, um, things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, from your experience, are there any sort of like, because we always, we very often talk about good practices, like separating the stuff. Are there any bad practices when it comes to middleware? Are there any use cases that you would not apply middleware to? Um, it's a good question. Uh, and I think that you don't necessarily need the middleware for. So if you're just doing something once, um, you don't really need to factor that out into the middleware. You can just have it into the handler. Um, any form of abstracting or factoring out, which you don't necessarily need, should be treated with suspicion, I think. So if you have some middleware which is just going to be used once, then you may want to reconsider and put that into the handler instead. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Okay. Um, any other tips? Middleware is generally good to use. Uh, it can make things a little bit more opaque if you've got like a long string of middleware. Um, sometimes you kind of go, well, one middleware is inserting this um, particular key into the request map. And often it's obvious, but if you have too much custom middleware, that can be become a problem. Um, other than that, uh, keep things simple, I think. Right. Yeah, I think this is the Kool-Aid we drink here all over. Uh, keep things simple in closure community. Um, from the structure of how actually the library is uh, created, um, there is a couple of um, I don't know, libraries in there that help you also with development. And um, how do you use this library as a person also who creates it? Like what the development library in particular, or just just in general, like Ring? Uh, are there any patterns that you see in your projects that you can just share, or what? What's the most common things that you use? Are there any parts of the library that I don't know you don't use so much? I'm just trying to figure out how do you use this library? What are your patterns for using it? So, for example, do you use this development part of the of the library for Ring Mock and stuff like this? Um, so RingMock is a separate library. Um, I do use it. Um, there are a few other um, libraries out there for generating um, good uh, mocked uh, systems, uh, which let me just look them up because they have obscure names. Uh, yes, so there's um, Perido and Kerodin, which are two um, libraries which uh, can help uh, test uh, the uh, the web so, so so they're effectively one step above ring mock um, so ring mock will create mock or fake uh, HTTP uh, uh, ring requests um, in order for you to test your handlers so you don't need to go through the whole chain of starting up an adapter and pushing through HTTP requests um, manually and um, Perido and Keridin are uh, APIs which sort of build on that, which make it more natural to um, uh, test these things. Um, so, so those are libraries um, um, I use quite a bit. Um, the other thing is that I often set up uh, a ring application so it's reloadable in the REPL. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a few ways you can go about this. You can use them kind of like component-esque library like component or integrant or uh, mount uh, or you can bind the handler to a var and then just update the var so if you pass the handler directly to the adapter then the adapter will have that function um, and you can't really update that function because you passed it into the server. The server is running, it has a particular copy of that function. But if instead you pass a var directly into the adapter itself, then a var can, if you call a var as a function, it will call whatever function it points to. Uh, and then if you update the var itself, it will update the um, function as well. So it acts a little bit like a pointer. Instead of passing the absolute value in, you're passing the um, um, var, which points to the function. And this way, you 
or do REPL development, you can change the the um, uh, handler as you go, and it will update in the um, uh, uh, it will update automatically. So your changes will be seen uh, as they go. Right, and to create a var, we would have to prepend sort of to our symbol the pound sign and quotes, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the pound sign or hash sign um, and a single quote, and then this gets you the var itself rather than what it's pointing. Mm -hmm. And normally, when you would work, uh, would you rather rely on this, or would you have the integrant and or any kind of, as you mentioned, component esque library, and then reload? What's what's the pattern that you use? Um, the uh, so so I use um the pattern which I think was set up by Stuart Sierra, um, the the reload pattern. Um, so typically I'd use that. Um, you can go around and reload um, namespaces individually. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of the like the tools.namespace library, which is part of um, the closure contrib kind of suite of libraries, you can use that to refresh all namespaces at once. So it goes through and it looks through and finds any files that have changed since it was last reloaded, and then reloads just those files. And this can be a more accurate way of reloading a system. Um, because typically, namespaces will depend on other namespaces. And if you're sort of manually reloading things one at a time, you can get into a state where what's in memory does not match up to what's on disk. So a you may have old um, functions floating around and um, because just reloading a namespace does not get rid of functions which were there previously that you now deleted. And you may also find that you have an older namespace around um, and you're using that with a newer namespace and it all works. But when you use the two newer namespaces together, they don't. So using tools.namespace for refreshing stuff, it provides a sort of more accurate representation of your system. It keeps everything up to date. So this is typically why I prefer um, using that system over just reloading namespaces directly. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think this holds true also for the var use case as we talked about, right? Because this is just of changing one reference and not reloading everything else. Um, yes. So uh, in something like integrant or component, um, you can set things up so that when you reload the um, uh, all of the namespaces, instead of restarting the server, um, you can be a little bit clever about it and instead just update the reference so the in integrant for instance which is a which is my mm -hmm. component uh inspired library when you reload the jetty component um it will if you're in a development environment uh instead of closing down the server and restarting it it will instead look for a new handler and replace the existing handler without closing down right. the server mm -hmm. and this will be particularly important if you've got um, um, connections open. Uh, for instance, if you've got a WebSocket, if you close down the server, you're closing that WebSocket, which may not be what you want to do. So keeping the server open, keeping existing connections open um, is pretty important for uh, a smooth development experience. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I hope we can chat about Integrium at another occasion. But as we are at WebSocket, uh, maybe we can talk about this and just dive to the next part, which is sort of Ring 2.0. Uh, yeah, sure. Because the ring one, the current version is 1.8.1. 1. Uh, it does not support WebSockets, right? Uh, yes. So, so it doesn't support WebSockets. There are um, existing uh, adapters um, like HTTPKit, um, like Aleph, um, which do support um, WebSockets, but they're all bespoke implementations. Mm -hmm. And I think you're working on Ring 2.0, which will have first-class support, if I could call it like this. Um, yeah, so uh, there will be a interface for um, dealing with WebSockets. Um, so if you use that interface, then any other um, uh, adapter that uses that, um, that particular interface uh, it just essentially provides a common API for accessing um, WebSockets, so you're not tied to one specific adapter or another. Mm -hmm. Are there any other changes coming in Ring 2.0 we worth talk about? Um, yes, so there's a few. Um, so the main two features which it will support are WebSockets and um, HTTP to push um, uh, promises. Uh, and these are like the two main main additional features of which um, WebSockets, I think, are going to be the most um, used. Uh, but at the same time, I'd like to um, change some of the existing stuff uh, that was developed in Ring 1. So when Ring was developed, it was developed very early on in Clojure's history. And at that point, we didn't have things like protocols. And we didn't really understand how namespace keywords were meant to work. So when Ring was developed, it was developed without protocols and without um, uh, namespaced uh, uh, keywords. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, this kind of prove, so this kind of proves a little bit of a problem because um, if you have a request coming in, then the Ring specification says the request body should be a Java input stream. And this is a blocking IO operation. And what do you do if you want a non-blocking I.O. Uh, operation? What happens if you want to like, read in the request body um, um, piecemeal in a kind of asynchronous way? Um, well, you have to rely on um, sort of custom extensions. Uh, and we can't change this because that's what the specification says. And there are libraries that, there are libraries and frameworks and languages that um, produce breaking changes. Um, so they'll sort of move from 1.0 to 2.0 in the sort of semantic version change. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not something I want to do for Ring. Um, I mean, Rich Hickey has talked a lot about um, this, about instead of having breaking changes, have additive changes. And this is one of the things I'm trying to do with Ring 2. So you should just be able to drop in Ring 2 and have it replace whatever Ring 1 um, system you have. And the way it's been set up at the moment, um, hopefully we can get it that you can start using Ring 2 features in a Ring 1 application. And I think this kind of form of backwards compatibility is one of Clojure's strengths. So Clojure... Um, has had a few breaking changes in the very beginning, 
um, particularly around um, sequences. But since those early days, uh, the API has been very stable. And things that, um, like, for instance, lazy sequences uh, are now less, uh, I mean, they're, they're still used and are still useful, um, but they've been somewhat supplanted by transducers in that in a lot of cases where you previously use a lazy sequence, it's often more efficient to use a transducer instead. So there are still a lot of things in um, the closure library, and structs would be another, another example, um, which have sort of gone and been de- deprecated. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, but the library has remained, or the whole language, um, the core library has remained pretty stable um, over the past uh, decade or so. Uh, and I'd like to do the same thing with Ring. Um, so Ring has been... F- um, backwards compatible. Um, if you have a um, application developed for Ring 1.0, if you drop Ring 1.8 onto it, it should work the same way. And similarly, if when we go to Ring 2, you should be able to update it to Ring 2, uh, and it should just all work. And you should just be able to start using the new features like uh, WebSockets and push promises just directly all right cool uh is there any i don't, I don't know if I, we really want to even ask this uh do you have any expectations for releasing this when or um so i'm hoping to so some sort of basic alphas have been released um at the moment i'm working on converting the middleware um during consultation with the community um some people raised uh, issues about performance. So initially, I wasn't thinking so much in terms of performance uh, when it came to Ring. I was thinking, well, if Ring 2.0 is of uh, similar performance to Ring 1.0, then I will be happy. Uh, but after some consultations with the community and after getting some feedback, I decided to focus more on making sure that Ring 2.0 is at least as fast as Ring 1.0. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing a lot of benchmarking, um, getting some things out, uh, and learning benchmarking tools as well. Um, so uh, hopefully when when Ring 2.0 gets out, it should be fairly uh, well tested. And so far, the results are promising. Um, if you're using Ring 2.0, Directly, it's uh, faster than Ring 1.0. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of it has been converted yet. Um, I've still got to convert over all of the additional middleware because Ring 2.0 is doing more things than Ring 1. It's uh, There's going to be potential for slowdown, um, but hopefully that can be mitigated by more efficient um, code elsewhere. Uh, because code has been around for seven or eight years, I think, um, there is room to go and deep dive into the internals of it and just tidy up a few things and make um, uh, some critical paths more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else uh, that we should talk about when we talk about Ring? You asked me when it was going to be released. Um, 
So, so still a fair bit more to do. Um, so I expect within the next few months, I will be getting out more alphas, uh, more complete alphas as well. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of want to make sure that it's going to be at least a year until like stable release. I'd like to get them out so that people can just actually kick the tires, um, find any problems with it. Um, I'd like to get something which is which is stable in terms of you can use it, but not necessarily 100% stable in terms of the API. Um, so similarly, uh, if you take a look at Clojure spec, um, that's still in alpha. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's just in the second alpha of it, but people are still using it. Um, it's a stable library in that you can use it. And because um, Clojure uh, emphasizes this additive um, uh, approach, um, the changes they've made to the second alpha of spec um, use a different namespace. Um, I don't know whether we'll go that far with um, closure, uh, with ring, sorry, because I don't think we necessarily want to have, uh, I mean, ring uses a lot of namespaces. So changing all of those to dot alpha might be a little bit too much. Um, but I think it's going to be a relatively stable alpha, which can be used. Um, the alpha part is more this API may potentially change based on user feedback, uh, particularly around like WebSockets or um, the new keys that have been added. So Ring 2.0 tries to add, um, it adds more protocols um, and it adds more adds namespaces to the keys. And again, this is this is something that probably should have been added originally, um, but at the time we didn't really know what closure really was. Um, so in the beginnings of closure, we weren't necessarily using namespaces a lot. And then in recent years when spec has come out and people started looking at this in more detail, um, particularly around uh, other libraries and tools which have been developed by Rich, like Datomic, for instance, which again uses namespace keywords, the uh, sort of understanding of what that means has shifted. Um, so it's often more useful now to use some form of namespace on a keyword because it differentiates that. Um, and it can also be uh, useful for determining where keys come from. So one of the problems I talked about earlier was if you have a bunch of middleware, which is inserting keys into your request map, you don't necessarily know where those keys are coming from. Well, in the new sort of Ring 2.0 version, keys are encouraged to be namespaced. So you will be able to take a look at the request map and see, oh, this key is coming from this middleware, this key is coming from this middleware. And it'll be more obvious where where things come from than it was in Ring 1.0. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so if someone would like to maybe even help to do to run the alphas or anything like or have any questions regarding Ring, what's the best way to get in touch with, with the uh, I guess with you? Um, yes, so I've set up an issue on the Ring um, uh, repository um, for reporting feedback on Ring 2.0. Um, so that's probably the best place um, to report feedback, even if the thread is becoming a little long. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I think this concludes somehow the ring, and I think 
all the community is looking forward to getting the ring 2.0 and you know the web sockets and the promises as you mentioned uh, and yeah thanks again for working on this and just i think i feel like this is one of the most used uh closure library so thinking about all of this backward compatibility compatibility and not breaking this i think this is huge uh yes yeah so um uh Yes, I mean, I think one of the most important things about Ring is is not breaking backwards compatibility. It's it's very hard to um, once a library has momentum, it's very hard to shift. Um, it's for, if you bring out a two point which is incompatible with a one point um, the larger the library it is, the more problems you will have with backwards compatibility. The the classic um uh, uh sort of problem with this was the change from the uh uh python 2.0 or right. 2.x series to python 3.0 because python had a few rough edges that they wanted to smooth over so they went okay well let's break backwards compatibility let's create a python 3.0 um that fixes all of these things that we've wanted to fix for years um which is a noble goal. Uh, it's a very admirable goal, but it also meant that for years to come, every Linux distribution would have uh, Python two and Python three on it. Right. Um, so it was sort of hard to get around that backwards compatibility requirement um, if it's not something that's part of the code you're releasing, then people will have two versions of that code. Okay. And that's something I wanted to get um, uh, around uh, when releasing Ring 2.0. In particular, um, if you have something like um, uh, the whole Maven-based dependencies that we have, we can't really have the same package twice. You can't include a um, dependency in Linegun or tools.deps or something like that where you have a 1.0 version and a 2.0 version simultaneously. Right. And then even if you could, they use the same namespaces. So in Clojure, there's no differentiation there either. Mm -hmm. So James, thanks again for taking the time to talk about um, all the things Ring. And thank you, for, thank you. Yeah, thank you for all of the work. And look forward to catching you, catching you next time. Yeah, see you then. Thank you. Bye. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes or any other platform you're listening to. You can share it on social media with your friends. You can blog about it, discuss it on your own podcast, and you can support it directly by buying my video courses and learning ClojureScript and Clojure at my website, jacekshare.com. That's J-A-C-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. Thank you for your support of this show.